How many have ever had those conversations? Ever? That's never... All right, so this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to, this is what we're going to try to tackle over the next couple of weeks is, um, is relationships. And we're going to be looking at married relationships. Those, it doesn't matter where you are. You're looking for someone. You've been married a year. You're engaged. You've been married for 50 years. Um, listen, I've pastored a long time. And I would probably have to say the, the number one struggle that I always see is relationships. There, the, how many of you know that that's, that's always the tension in life? It, it, the tension in life is always our relationships, and especially when we bring it home. And so what we want to look at is our, not just our married relationships, but just even, even how we deal with our children and those relationships. We're going to be looking at that next week. And then, um, and then for Father's Day, I've got a very <clears throat> encouraging message for you men. I've got a special gift for all of you men that I, I believe will help you. And so I'm excited about that for Father's Day in a couple of weeks too. And so what I want to look at is these relationships and how do we deal with, with uh, specifically <clears throat> expectations within relationships. And so um, one of the things that I see in, in marriage and in family in these relationships is that um, as we diagnose our relationships, some of you here today, you may be saying, um, married relationships, okay. You, you might be just, some of you might be here today and it's kind of just surviving. And, and how do we get to the point in our relationships where it's just not surviving, but we're actually thriving, where it's actually, we're proactive and our relationships are growing. It's, it's funny, I will ask couples, when I sit down with them and chat with them, if they come to me for, for, uh, for, for maybe just wisdom or, or counsel or just pastor, help us, we're, we're struggling here. What does the word of God to say about our relationships? How can we grow in our relationships? Or maybe there's some major problems there. And what I'll do is I'll have each couple individually rate their marriage on a scale of one to 10. And it's interesting um, when they rate themselves in their relationships, it's, it's interesting how the other spouse truly sees the relationship. So you'll have a couple and they'll come in and they'll rate uh, themselves on a, a scale of one to 10. And what's interesting in a lot of cases, how differently the couple see their marriages. That's the problem. Many times we see our marriage in a certain light, but our spouse sees our marriage in a completely different light. And this is what we're going to tackle today. And so you have the, the other person that never really understood that that person truly felt that way. You might get the husband and they will say, well, I think our marriage is great. I think it's a nine. And then, the, and then the wife will give them a strange look and say, yeah, you think it's a nine because I cook and I clean and I allow you to do your hobby. So it's great for you. But for me, I may give it a three. And the other person, and I'll see these two couples and they'll kind of look at each other like, I never knew that. I never understood it. And the wife thinks that everything is great. And the husband says, well, yeah, but all we talk about is the kids. Everything revolves around the kids and we never talk or spend time Alone, So the wife thinks, well, I never knew that. I never knew that you felt that way. And so this is what I want to look at over the next three weeks. So whether you're single, married, or I believe this series will, will help you. And I, here, here's how I feel as a pastor. I believe this with all my heart, <clears throat> that the best gift that you can ever give your kids is a good marriage is a healthy marriage. I think that's the best thing. 
I know we live in a very kid-centric society today. We think, well, the best thing we can do is just pour our lives in our kids. And that's fine. You encourage your kids, be there, support them. I get all that. But the problem is at the neglect many times of our own marriage. And then what happens is once the kids move out of the house, there's this void within the relationship because our, our, our relationship with each other was nil and void because we we're pouring our whole lives into our children until one day when they leave and, we're, and, and all of a sudden it becomes this empty nest thing. We don't know each other because there was no effort placed into developing a healthy marriage. And so here's the thing. I believe it's all about relationships. Your relationship with your spouse is so paramount and so important. I believe it's about family relationships. We're going to talk about that next week. And I've seen, amazing to me, I've seen families healed from brokenness in their family when there was actually a death of a parent or a family member because it actually had to bring that family together. Where before there was a lot of rift and turmoil and nitpicking and inward fighting over silly little things. And all of a sudden, when death hit the family, it all of a sudden put everything into reality. It brought them together. They saw what was most important. I've never heard anyone ever at a before their death say, Pastor, can you just bring me my, my buck-mounted buckhead? So I can hug it one more time. I've never heard that. Can you bring me my bowling trophies? Can you, can I just hug my coach perch purse one more time? Could you bring that to me? I've never heard that. It's always about relationships. It's about people. It's about family. That's what it should be. And here's the thing. Jesus was asked this really interesting question. And what they did was they tried to trick Jesus. And the religion of the day you know, wanted to trip Jesus up. They didn't like what he was doing. They were getting too close to these religious people. They, he was revealing their true motives in their hearts. And so uh, Jesus, they posed this question to Jesus, what's the, what's the most important command? What's the greatest important? Out of all of them, which is the greatest? And it's interesting what Jesus does here. And he takes all these commandments, hundreds of them, all the thou shall nots, <clears throat> the thou shall not murder, steal, lie, all of those. And then Jesus boils it down to two. And it's interesting what Jesus says here. And, and we can see this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Here's what, Jesus, here's, here's what Jesus said. Here's what he said. Jesus replied and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he gives one more. And listen to what he says. And the second is, is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus just did for us there, it shows these are the things that are most important to God. Your love for God and then how you serve your neighbor or what Jesus is saying is your relationships. These are the two most important things. Notice how he didn't say how often you read the Bible, how many hours you spend praying, because if we have our relationship correct with God, those things are going to be a natural part of that, right? If I'm seeking the Lord in my life, I'm going to want to know his word. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be seeking his face. And so what Jesus says here, but the second thing that's most important are your relationships. And these are the things 
either we tend to neglect or we tend to allow to be broken or, or, or we allow to say, ah, I'm not going to worry about it until it's too late. And God says, no, you've got to work on your relationships. These are, these are paramount to me. And so notice that the two most important commandments revolve around what? They revolve around relationships. Our relationship to God, that vertical relationship with God, and then our horizontal relationships with one another. And if I believe our relationship with God is healthy and in order, and our relationships to one another are healthy and in order, you're going to have a healthy life. You're going to have a balanced life. You're going to have a life that, that's living your life on purpose and having your life with the correct priorities. Because when, when I look at someone's life and they feel like, Pastor, I feel like I'm out of control or I feel like my life's not there. I, I lack purpose or I just, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why things are happening. Everything seems blah, blah, right? We all go through these things. And I guarantee if you boil it down to these two things, how is your relationship with God and how are your relationships to one another? And I guarantee there's something that is out of whack in either one of those that's causing the problems, the most problems within our lives. And that's why God said these things are most important. This is what Jesus sees as most important. So I would say this to you this morning. Don't dismiss your relationships. Don't think it doesn't matter because I've seen hurting people left with guilt of not doing anything and not trying to restore broken relationships. Ignoring, blaming, denial will never solve relationship issues. So what I want to do today is I want to dive into this marital issue and look at some root causes maybe of some of our frustration. So, so here's the thing. Married a long time or not, or engaged or looking for relationships, I, this is so important for us to understand because I think every marriage, if we were to boil it down, would have the same common struggle. And I, and I see this talking with couples, whether you've been married a short time or, or a long time, we all struggle with this, with this issue. And, and, the, and, I, and, I re, and, and in this issue, I think the only person that I've ever, couples that I've ever talked to that don't seem to ever struggle with these issues are engaged couples because their heads are so far in the clouds and they're like, we just love each other. We're going to live on love. Love will guide us. Love will solve all our problems, right? Because they have no idea what they're getting into. That's the issue. So here it is. Every, here, here it is. Every marriage... Every single marriage struggles with this one thing. Are you ready? Here it is. Expectations. Every single marriage struggles with expectations. And so what we do is, here, here's, uh, here's what happens. When we come into a marriage, we have these certain expectations. And I, and I call it the expectation bad because... We put these things in our bag and a lot of it either comes from our parents and what we watched them do or and, and the roles that were played out before us or maybe there were some expectations that came from movies or friends. But once we get married, something happens, something changes. We start to bring our expectations and every single one of us come into a marriage with expectations and all of a sudden the bag comes out and all of a sudden, all these expectations come out, and we're blindsided by each other. I, uh, when I do premarital uh, classes for engaged couples, what I'll do is I have this 50-question questionnaire for them. And, and it's probably things 
that they've never talked about or completely oblivious to because they think, well, these things are just going to work themselves out. Because why? Because we love each other. Love will solve all our answers. And they're holding hands, right? And I'm like, they've got no idea, right, at this point. They have no idea. And so what I'll do is I ask them these questions. And it's funny because these are questions that they probably would never ask each other. And all of a sudden, I have them start asking each other. And they're like, we never thought about that. So I'll just, like, for instance, one of the questions I'll ask is, where are you going to spend your Christmas? Whose house? It's so funny. I love watching it. Usually... The girl will say, well, of course, at my parents' house. And then, you know where it's going. And the guy will go, wait a minute. Well, we have a huge, we, we get up, we do all the stuff, we blah, blah, blah. And she's like, nuh-uh, uh-uh. Because my parents, we blah, 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 right? All of a sudden, I mean, the boxing gloves come out. And, I'm, and they're, they look at each other, and all of a sudden, this engaged thing. Oh, well, honey, I thought love was going to if, right? That's just one of 50, so usually by then they break up after they hit the 50th. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I, it, see, the problem is there's this expectation. So <clears throat> we all have expectations, right? And then there's reality. Now, in between our expectations... And reality, I call something like this, the expectation gap. There's a gap in between what we expect and then what is reality. So let, let me, hopefully, let, let me see if this hits home with somebody. Let me, let me see if this helps. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. We have these expectations, but when reality sets in, it's not what we thought, and then the next thing is frustration. Because I thought all these things, and now I'm frustrated, and there's this big gap between our expectations and reality, and we can, I, I can usually boil down every single marriage problem to this. Pretty much. 99 ivory soap, 0.9999%. Every time I can boil it down to this. Here it is. Unmet expectations. We have these expectations, but they're unmet. And so reality sets in, and then we're frustrated. And then a whole slew of problems begin to happen. And it usually starts off small, like not putting the toilet seat down or uh, not picking up your clothes, you know, or, or whatever it may be. And then, and then, it, can get, then it can get a little bit... It can get a little bit larger. So um, <clears throat> let me pull some things out of my expectation bag here. So, you know, maybe you got married and you're like, you know, honey, I just know you're going to be the best cleaner in the world. So I bought you some, some cleaner for you. Here's some Clorox. I know you're just going to clean the house so well, right? I know you're going to be a good cleaner. So the guy's thinking she's going to do all the cleaning. And all of a sudden reality sets in. And the wife said, I ain't your mama. I ain't your mama. Well, well, wait a minute. What makes you think I'm going to do all the cleaning at, in my house? Here it goes. My dad would do A, B, and C, right? All of a sudden, right? So then there's that frustration. Well I, well, I thought you were going to do all 
the cleaning. And then the, the wife may come back, hey, uh, in, in, in my house, my, my dad, man, he, he built our house, right? He, he, he built our house. He, he, he's got a, he had a wood-burning stove. And, and my dad, he'd split all his own wood for the whole winter, right? And the guys would go, I don't even know what she just said. I don't even know what a wood-burning stove is. I couldn't split a lot. If I did, I'd hurt my back, right? I just figured the heat comes out of somewhere, right? I don't, I, my house, somebody just pressed a button and the house was warm, right? Right? And so there's this expectation because of my day, he fixed everything. Problems with the car? Fixed it all, right? Any problem in the home? It was fixed. The guy's looking and say, man, I, I don't even know how to turn a screwdriver, right? What is this thing? I don't even know what this, this is, right? See, once again, th- there's the gap. Now you've got this, this expectation gap of what is um, reality. Um, I, 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 I had this expectation. I'm just being honest with you. I'm gonna, can I just be, I'm going to be honest with you. Let me be personal with you. Here, here was my expectation when I got married. I had this expectation that Kathleen would just go fishing with me all the time. <laughs> I, I had this expectation. I, I just said, you know what? We're just going to go. We're going to spend long hours fishing together. It's just going to be wonderful, right? So I had this expectation that we're going to go fishing together. We're going to have this wonderful time. And then, and then Kathleen had this expectation that, that, that we were going to sit and watch the Jane Austen trilogy of, of, of Emma, right? These, these are all the DVDs. I'm just saying, this is all that's in our house, right? There's no Rambo in our house. There's no first blood. This is it. Emma, Sense and Sensibility, right? One Saturday when it's raining, we're just going to sit down and then, and we're going to finish it off with Pride and Prejudice. We're going to, right? See, see, so that, that's her idea of what was going to, and my idea was like, no, we're going, we're going to finish. Am I getting close to anybody here? Am I, am I, okay. Here was the big one in our house. Here was the big one in our house. Uh, when I grew up, I had this thing called the magic hamper. I don't know if you guys ever had this magic hamper. You know what I'm talking about? It was magic. And here's the magic hamper. The magic hamper was this. You have dirty clothes, and you put it in this magic hamper, and then magically, in a couple days, my clothes would appear folded and neatly put away in my drawer. I go, this hamper, I like this magic hamper thing until I went away to college. And the magic hamper didn't work at my college. I'm like, I called my mom. I go, mom, what's wrong with the hamper? It doesn't work, right? You got to learn how to wash your own clothes. So I learned quick and all my clothes turned pink because I just threw everything in together, right? Um, and so when we, when Kathleen and I were married, you know, my mom did the ironing. So when we got married, I just assumed that Kathleen would do the ironing. Guess what? I learned how to iron really fast. So, in fact, I ironed these slacks. Aren't they nice? I ironed these last night. This is my iron job, right? Expectation, reality. Now, here's the thing that I think can relate to everybody. And I think one of the biggest expectations in every marriage is intimacy. And here's how, here's how women spell intimacy. They spell it 
L-O-V-E. They look at it like holding hands and snuggling and long talks, right? Intimacy, love. Now, for men, we spell it the same way. However, we just add one little word in front of it, make. So, So, are you seeing the gap? Okay. So, <laughs> do you see the gap now? I, I just want to make sure we're clear. Okay. So, see, the reality in all these things, and I know some of them are small and some of them are really big, and, and this is why many marriages seem to stumble. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the gap. I want to attack the gap. And I want to keep our mind on the gap here. When I was um, in England some years ago, if you've ever been to England and you ride the tube, the subway system, they have this uh, words on every subway platform. It says, mind the gap. And, and what, this, what they want you to do is it's the space between the subway platform and the subway train doors. And if you're not careful, you could trip, fall, and seriously hurt yourself. So on every platform, they always have, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. And this is what I want us to do. I want us to mind the gap. I want us to have our attention here in this area so that it can help our marriages. And it, see, it's, it's in here where most couples will trip and fall because they're not minding the gap. They're not, they're not minding this expectations. And so I believe the word of God speaks to this. And I believe, I don't mean to make this simplistic, but I believe if we understand this, it can bring a lot of healing to a lot of marriages from just surviving to actually thriving, to, to actually having a marriage that is, is God-centered, that um, God is pleased with, that, that you're happy in. And, and I believe God's will for you is to have blessed relationships. Bless relationships with your children. Bless relationships with your spouse. And so this is the area that I want to look in. I believe the Bible has the answers to this issue. And let me read for you what the Apostle Paul says about marriages, specifically speaking to husbands and wives. He does speak to children, too, in this section of Scripture. But I specifically want to see what he says dealing with husbands and wives in this expectation gap. This is what he says just in Ephesians 5, verse 22 and 23. And I read this at every single marriage that I do because I think this is so important for us to understand. Here's what Paul says. Wives, submit your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the body, of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife uh, loves himself. After all, no one's ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ is the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become what? One flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, 
What's Paul saying here? Well, before I jump into this, let me just say this. Here's the wrong way that we seem to approach this gap area. And let me just give you a couple wrong ways of trying to fill this gap. Here's a couple wrong, wrong ways. Wrong way number one. Here's, here's some myths about overcoming the expectation gap. Here's some wrong ways. First of all, first of all, the, the, one of the major mistakes we make in trying to fill this gap is that we try to meet all our spouse's expectations. We're, we're, we're going to sit there and say, I'm going to try to meet all of my spouse's expectations. And the reason why so many marriages are struggling is for the simple reason is that we always feel like we're a disappointment or we never do enough or nothing's never done the right way or the way that I want it to be done, that I expect it to be done. And there's always this comparison, maybe comparison to your family or other families or other husbands or other wives. And then we get into this, this name calling where we say, well, you never do this and you never do that. And you're, and your spouse lets you down at one point or another. So we try to fill in this gap by trying to meet all these expectations. And guess what? We can never do that. We can never, ever fill the expectations of our... We will let them down in one way or another. And so that's the wrong way to do it because after a while, the one person will just give up because they feel like they're never good enough or they can never meet these expectations or never, you know clean the way this person clean or do laundry the way this person does or fix things the way this person does. And so people just give up. Second thing is we just give in. We just give in. So here's the second thing. This comes from an overbearing spouse. And for the sake of tension, one spouse just gives in to keep peace. But what happens is year after year after year of trying to jump through so many hoops, the spouse just gives up and leaves. And so the one spouse said, well, I never saw that coming. Why? Because everything was great for this reason, because the other spouse was doing everything their way. And so there's this just given, like, okay, I just don't want to deal with the drama. I don't want to deal with the arguing. I'm just going to give in and do everything that they want. And how many know that is really unhealthy? Because uh, eventually that's going to blow up. Here's the third way. The third way to, to bridge this gap, a myth, is by contractual living. So what's this? What's this contractual living? Well, what we try to do is we try to bridge the gap through compromise. I will do this if you do that. If you let me watch the game, I'll let you buy A, B, and C. And so what we do is we hold things over each other's heads and we say, look at all I do for you. And so contractual marriages never work because someone will always feel like they're being taken advantage of. They don't feel like they're being treated fairly. They feel like, you know, you have this and I have this. And then it, it comes down to separate checkbooks. And I, this is my money. This is your money. I can spend the money the way I want to. And I should have the freedom to do this. That is not good, people. I'm just saying that is not good. Because what it's not doing is it's not building oneness that Paul is talking about when he quotes from Genesis. And so for you out there that feels like, ah, that kind of hit, that kind of hit home, pastor. Yeah, there is this, our marriage is, is a lot like that. Here's what I would say for those of you that are struggling with the contractual, because I've, I've heard this and seen this quite often in my talking with couples. You've got to do everything to bring trust and saying everything is ours. Everything. Together. 
Because what, what begins to happen when you begin to live in a contractual relationship, you begin to hide things from each other. You begin to hide purchases from each other. It's getting really quiet in here now, right? Right? You begin to hide receipts, secret credit cards, secret bank, Swiss bank accounts, right? <laughs> so, you, and so what happens, that's contractual living, and that's not healthy. Because what you're doing is you're not building trust. You're not building oneness. It becomes this contractual marriage where this is mine and this is yours. And then we'll try to come to a happy medium. How many know that never works? How many have had kids and your kids say, well, that's not fair, right? They got, they got, their ice cream's bigger than, my, you know, here's, here's the thing. Life isn't fair. Get over it. It's just not. If we try to make everything fair, it's ridiculous, Life isn't fair. I don't know where we ever learned that from, but it's not. It's not fair. And so if we try to make it fair and contractual and try to, it's never going to work because one person is always going to feel like they're being taken advantage of. This this doesn't work for this reason because it always revolves around me. I want to make sure that I'm getting the best of this. But I believe there's a better way, a way that would change your marriage. And I believe that Ephesians 5 through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I believe this gives us the answer. And what Paul does is he quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, and he says, God's design for marriage is that the two me's would become one me. That the two we's would become one me. It's not 50-50. It's, it's, it's I'm giving my whole self to you. And I believe if you hear this from the word of God, I believe it will literally change the way you look at marriage. So how does oneness happen? How are we united? How do we fill in this expectation gap? Well, here's here's Paul's answer to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that we must serve each other and God tells us there must be a mutual, mutual Submission. Because I know when we first read that, you're like, oh, wives submit to the husband, and all these bells go off. I'm not going to submit. That's blah, blah, that's old fashioned, blah, blah, blah. But we don't seem to read the rest of the chapter where Paul is giving this same information to the husbands to lay your lives down just as Christ has gave himself for the church. So there's this mutual submission, this mutual serving each other. And let me just say this. When we learn how to truly serve each other in the heart of Christ, in the way Christ served us, it will change your expectations. It will change them. You will see with a new lens. I've seen God do miracles in marriages when this thing changed. Because what was so hard is to get people past this expectation. They just couldn't get over it. Well, I blah, blah, and the, what about this marriage? Well, I was brought up this way. And we think that our way is the best way, right? It's not necessarily that our way is the best way. It's just the way we're used to. This is our preference. This is the way we were raised. So you look at them, well, my family was raised this way, Right? And your family didn't do it, right? Well, what we did, who's to say? You see, this expectation thing is deadly 
And so what Paul is saying here is when we serve each other, it breaks that expectation bondage in our life. And so when this happens, when we begin to serve each other, I stop thinking about me and I start thinking about we. I stop thinking about how is this going to benefit me, how is this going to benefit me, and all of a sudden I begin to think about how does this benefit we. And let's be honest. Can we just be honest this morning? Every single one of us are selfish in this place. Can we just be, we are, aren't we? Amen? We are, we're selfish. And if you don't don't agree with me, when someone takes a picture, you take a selfie with other people, who's the first person you look at? You look at yourself, don't you? You're like, oh, that's a terrible picture. Take another one. Because my hair wasn't right. My eyes are all red. It looks like I'm hammered. So just take another one. I don't want people thinking that I'm hammered. So take another one, okay? This is ridiculous, right? Why? Because we're selfish. We're always thinking about ourselves. So here's the thing. The greatest battle you will ever fight in your life is not with someone else, but with yourself. Right here. That's the biggest battle. And we always think it's somebody else, don't we? We always think it's somebody else. If they just change, if they just did, my spouse would just, if my spouse could just change their expectations, then we'd have a great marriage. Mm. So how do I fight my selfishness in my marriage? How do I fight my selfishness in my marriage? When you put your spouse's needs before your own, you will kill selfishness in you. You will literally kill it. When you put the needs of your spouse before yourself, you will kill the selfishness in you. So what's our example? Well, here's, here's what Paul says. Paul says that Christ is our example because he gave himself up for us. And so when, when we see the word submit, we look at it as subservient or employer-employee type of relationship or one is better than the other or one is controlling over the other. And, and, and listen, Jesus understood this in our relationship with us. Forced control never works. Jesus doesn't come down and get us in a headlock and make us serve him, does he? Jesus obediently served the Father out of his love for him. He was obedient to the Father. Even obedient, the word of God says, to the cross and to death. See, if God made us do everything... We're going to do it with a wrong attitude, a wrong heart. It may work for a while, but our hearts won't be it. And God, that's not the type of relationship that, that God desires to have with us. God doesn't desire to have your relationship as this employer-employee relationship where you do what I say. He wants this to be a loving relationship that's built on covenantal language that says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. That, yeah, you've you've... Yeah, maybe you haven't met all my expectations. Or, yeah, we, all, we both have flaws in our life, but I'm not going to leave you. Let's allow God to work on our lives together. I can have grace. I can show you grace. Let's talk about these things and how God can work on these flaws in our lives together. <clears throat> so Christ is our example. Christ is our example. And so... The submission that Paul describes is a mutual submission under the love of Christ and what he has done for us. 
So the submission that Paul describes here is a mutual submission under the love of Christ and what he's done for us. So here's the thing. We worry that if I submit, I feel like I'm going to be too vulnerable and I'm going to get walked on. Well, guess what? That's the risk that you take when you serve Christ. That's the risk that we take in the world, isn't it? That when we serve, we feel like, well, is somebody going to take advantage of me? They might. That doesn't mean you become a doormat. But what it means is you've got to allow yourself to be vulnerable saying, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this for Christ. I'm going to serve because I know this is what Christ did for me. He gave up everything for me to serve me. He gave his very life. Even before I received him or came to him, the Bible says that God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for me to get it all together before he died for me. His love was moved by his obedience towards the Father to submit to him. And so out of that understanding of what Christ has done for me, I can willingly serve my spouse because I understand the great lengths for what Jesus did for me. And so what what Paul is saying here is the wife comes under the covering of her husband and the husband comes under the covering of Christ. And when we're under the covering of Christ, we flourish. And so Jesus describes the best for us. Our roles as husband is to allow our wives to flourish, not stifle them or smother them. We should be their biggest encouragers. We should be their biggest cheerleaders. We should be the ones that allow them to flourish in their relationship in Christ. And so here's how you break this gap. As you learn to serve each other. You learn to go out of your way. You learn to let go of some of these things that you had in your mind that you expect. You learn to let go of these things, the pressure that you're putting on each other to be someone that they will never be. That will kill every single marriage. And so when we learn to submit and we learn to love and we learn to serve, we're doing it out of our love for Christ and what he's done for us. And what will begin to happen in your marriage is this. There'll be a love within your marriage that's based in the very sacrificial love that Jesus accomplished for you and I. That I'm serving you not because I have to, but because I want to. Have you ever done something because you just wanted to do it? Wasn't that so much sweeter? And so much more fulfilling and rewarding when you did something out of obedience for Christ because you wanted to, because Christ's love compelled you to do it because of what he's done for you. The Bible has so many examples of that, even when we give. Paul tells us, don't give out a compulsion, or I have to give because that's what I'm supposed to do. He tells us to be joyful or cheerful or hilarious givers out of the grace that Jesus bestowed upon us. And so now it becomes joy, grace-giving, and not compulsion, I have to do this because I'm a Christian, and this is what you're supposed to do so I can check off another box. Boy, when when you can see your marriage as something that it's a joy to serve, God will replenish your marriage and replenish your hearts. And more than that, 
replenish your love for your spouse because now it's based in something so much deeper than anything that the world could ever give you or show you. God's love is so much deeper and so much richer. God designed marriage. He knows what he's doing. And some of you, you're looking for answers in the world to solve a spiritual problem. That's why you're struggling today in your life. Marriage aside, the reason why you're struggling is because you're looking for worldly answers to fix a spiritual problem. I believe with all my heart the Bible has all the answers we need. And when we begin to submit to God's word, that doesn't mean our lives are going to be perfect. But what it does mean is that my life is blessed because I'm serving God. And God's given me a peace that I've never felt before because I'm not receiving that from the things in the world. So here's what I have for you. Here's what I have for you. Just before we jump into communion, here's what I have for you. I've got some homework for you. And uh, for you married couples, I really, I really want you to do this. And I've, let, me just, let me give you some parameters that will help you, hopefully, within this homework. Um, first of all, pick a good time where, you're, where you won't be interrupted you know, maybe for you parents that have younger kids, make sure the kids are in bed or get a babysitter or whatever it is. But be in a place where you're not interrupted and don't pick a time when you're irritated or you just had a fight. This will not go over well. So if you're irritated with each other or you're hungry or you just had a fight and you said, okay, let's do the homework that pastor told us to do. When was the last thing I did to make you feel appreciated or loved? Never. you never done that. You never make me feel, you know, so don't, I'll tell you when a time you made me feel unappreciated five minutes ago, right? So don't, don't, <laughs> wrong time, okay? Um, and here's, a, fight the urge to get defensive. This is, oh, because the minute this comes up, we want to get defensive, we want to protect ourselves, let them share without having to rationalize anything they bring up. Just let them speak. Don't fight the urge to get defensive because then it'll just turn into a big fight. I hate Pastor Barden. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Police are called in the restaurant. It's a whole thing. So just don't, okay? So don't get defensive. So, and when you do, start with prayer and end your time praying for each other. Let, let, let the Lord lead you and let the Holy Spirit guide you. So here's some questions. Here's some questions you can ask. What was the last thing I did that made you feel appreciated and loved? And ask this question, follow up with this. When do you feel the most pressure to live up to my expectations? And this will bring up a lot of stuff. And let the other person just talk. Because I think once you bring those up, I think it will bring a lot of healing into your relationship. Because what happens is I think we hold on to these, when we're hurt, we hold on to these, and all of a sudden something comes up from like 10 years ago, and it's like Mount Vesuvius. So be honest. When was the last time I feel like you didn't meet my expectations? And this will bring up a lot of stuff to hopefully bring healing and grace. And, and here's the third question. What can I do to serve you in a greater way? I'll tell you what. You want to fill up your spouse's love tank? Ask them, how can I serve you? What are things that I can do to help serve you? that can show my love to you in a greater way? Well, what are some things that I could do? And that will fill up your 
spouse's love tank like nothing else will. How many of us, listen, all of us feel drained in our life. So many times we feel like people just take and take it, right? We, we, we can all feel that way. But the way we break that is like, man, Lord, help me to learn to serve. Help me to have your love in my heart and learn how to serve. And see, here's, this is why I think communion is so important. Because what it does is it pulls us back into the reality of this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus says, whenever you do this, you do this in what? Remembrance of me. That Jesus gave everything for us. He gave his body for us by sacrificing on the cross for us. He shed his blood for us, which means that he was a perfect sacrifice, that he actually took on the wrath of God upon himself for you and I. Jesus knew that his death would mean reconciliation for you and I. Jesus gave everything. And when I understand that and I apply God's grace and mercy to my heart and I understand what Jesus did for me, here is the fruit from that. The fruit from that is how I live it out in my daily living. If I understand what this means, if I've received Christ into my life and I've become born again and Jesus, you've changed me. And then the result is I'm not serving. There's a disconnect. I'm missing something. You may have the head knowledge of what Jesus did for you, but if it's not being played out in your life, that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God, right? And then, and then he turns that around and says, what? Your neighbor, right? And so your relationships. So what Christ did for us, his mercy and grace that he displayed for us is going to be seen and how we serve each other. It's going to be seen in how we serve each other and how we love each other. That is the emblem of the follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind, right? We hear it at every wedding you go to, right? See, it's all about giving. It's all about serving. I serve out of my love for Christ and what he did for me. So as we take communion today, here's what I want us to do. Paul says this, don't take communion in an unworthy manner. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. So as we take communion today, pour your heart out to God and say, God, yeah, my marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. Lord, help me to be that servant husband or that servant wife that you desire me to be. Maybe there's some brokenness in other relationships that need to be healed. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you take communion and say, God, you need to heal my heart. I need forgiveness in this area. Let me be proactive in making these relationships right before you because this is what I'm supposed to do. Listen, it doesn't matter what the other person does. That's up to them. But you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be forgiving. If Christ forgave us, we need to forgive others. And so, God, break that in my heart. Break the, the anger and the bitterness and what I'm holding. Break, break my expectations that I've placed on other people in my spouse. Break these, God, because this is hurting our relationship. Break these things and allow God to fill in that gap with his love 
and what he did for you and I. So as we take communion today, we're remembering those things. And so allow God to speak to us. So listen, as we take communion, listen, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. It's open to all of us here who follow Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, well, Pastor, I haven't really made a commitment to Jesus, we're going to pray. And you can, you can make that commitment to Christ as we pray and say, man, I, I need to give my heart to Jesus first. I need to give my life to him first. And you can do that as we pray and feel free to take the emblems and worship Christ and what he did for you. So would you bow your hearts with me? Let's pray. And let me pray for you as the ushers come and as we serve you and as the band comes. Let me just pray for you. Let's bow our hearts. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for this word today. Thank you. Thank you, God, that your word brings life. And you want to breathe life into every relationship, into every marriage. At the heart of the gospel message is reconciliation in life. Jesus, you came to give your life. And through your resurrection, you conquered death and sin. And so, Lord, even in our lives, you want to breathe new life into our marriages, into our relationships. You reconcile those things that were dead. And so, God, help us to live out the gospel message in our lives by reconciling those things that have been broken. And you can do that through your spirit, God. And Lord, as we take community, I just pray that we would lay down our expectations that we've had these unmet expectations, these, these expectations that are grandiose, that have just stifled our relationships. God, help us to lay those down and take up the towel and serve you. And as we serve you, we're going to serve others, God. So bless this time as we take communion today, Lord. I pray for every marriage here today, every marriage that's on just, it's on its last thread, God. I pray that you would just do a miracle, God, in those relationships. And I believe you can do it through the power of Jesus' name. So bless this time, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name.